Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? I feel like I need to introduce myself. Holidays and the flu together. Woo! They tell me I didn't have the flu, but... Man, man. Hey, um, I had mentioned uh, a few Sundays back about a couple of books, and some of you have been asking about them. We've got a few in at our book table. Uh, One is called A Gospel Primer, not Primer. Remember we had that discussion? It's Primer. A Gospel Primer for Christians. It's out there. I recommend it. And also uh, the classic Knowing God by uh, Dr. J.I. Packer. I recommend that you pick those Pick those up. Good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, I, I've discovered in, in this new season of life that I have a new ritual to get me ready uh, for Sunday mornings. You know, pastors uh, have these ways of getting ready for Sunday morning. We Saturday nights are usually pretty quiet because we work Sundays. And the... Um, I used to do different things. I used to attend a Saturday night service at another church and this, that, and the other. But last night I discovered I've developed a, a new one. Um, some of you will be able to relate. How many of you are parents of young preschoolers? Raise your hands. Okay, okay. Those tired-looking people. And uh, how many of you are grandparents of young preschoolers? And they're those happy-looking people. Well, last night when I... Uh, you'll relate to this, Bill. Last night when I was... Uh, in the middle of my second episode of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, I, I knew I have a new Saturday night um, routine. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you'll, well, you'll find out. It's good to be a grandpa. Um, we, uh, in a second, we're going to jump back into the book of Proverbs. We have been we started in August, our study through, and I started to say, maybe we should change that. We are crawling slowly through uh, the book of Proverbs. We started in August, and today we make it all the way to the 27th verse of chapter 3. There are 31 chapters, so maybe we'll get there before we die. I'm not sure. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, we're going to go down through verse, uh, actually 32 uh, today. Uh, before we get there, I want to go ahead and, and, and give you a heads up about our February uh, sermon series. You know, each, um, about every other month, kind of like Christmas Eve, we're going to give you an opportunity to uh, uh, have an easy invite, an easy ask of your far from God or far from church friends or family members or neighbors or work associates to come with you. Uh, About the first Sunday of February, exactly the first Sunday of February, we're going to make it to uh, chapter 5. And we're going to spend, if not the entire month of February, uh, the majority of it, on the subject that we find in chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is one of God's up-in-your-face, very blunt passages uh, that that hit us and deals with some tough stuff. adultery, sexual immorality, and uh, how to avoid that, how to affair-proof your marriage, and then how to enjoy your marriage. So it's going to look at the, here's a warning about sexual immorality, here's a warning about adultery, 
uh, and then instead enjoy your marriage. And he gets he gets really frank in there. So those of you with parents of children, you like a, a heads up, just so you know, first or second Sunday, the Bible actually says the word breasts. That gives you a hint. So if you would just want to, yeah, do something else with your kids if, you're, if that's a thing. Um, is that clear? I didn't know anyone would say that, Mike Joyner. It says it right there in the Bible. Okay, so we're going to get to that. And uh, everybody, everybody, all the guys are flipping to chapter 5. Look at them here. Okay, that's all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. About point 2, I get really boring this morning. Go ahead to chapter 5. You can read that while I'm, while I'm talking. Okay, pray with me. Pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for the gift of your written word inspired by your Holy Spirit to us. And we pray now that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things from your word. We pray that you would open our minds, that we may understand the scriptures and unlock our spirits, that part of us that most directly relates to you, that we may, that we may respond to you in, um, in obedience, eager obedience to what you teach us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus says that He came to give us the life that is truly life. Life abundant and life eternal. Life with Him and uh, now and, and forever. And He is in the business of pouring out His Spirit and granting us through Christ His wisdom for skillful living that will produce a culture of life and vitality, life and light in a household and in a neighborhood and in a church and in a city and in a country. Life and light in the midst of a culture that has been hijacked by stupidity and death. And that's us. And that's us. Foolishness and death. Foolishness and darkness. Uh, we are swimming in it. We are surrounded by it. We are affected by it. Uh, God describes it very clearly, this, what this kind of life, this culture, this life apart from Christ and His wisdom, what it looks like and what it produces. Listen to this. See if this sounds familiar. He says in Galatians chapter 5, this is out of the message translation, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on and on, he says. That is a good description of the culture, the society of foolishness and death in which we are swimming. 
Yet the good news, the good news is God is going to change that. And he, he, he grabs our attention today by saying to you and me, when we, when our desires, our own personal desires become our gods, we end up living in a stupid fashion that leads to spiritual and relational and even physical death in our homes, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, even in our, even in our, our churches. Pastor Chad Crouch led us in a song, There is no one higher than our God. And in his prayer, he prayed about us having idols. Now, there's probably very few of you who have a, an idol fashioned of, of precious metal or, or, or wood or, or stone that you bow down before and, and worship. And you might say, well, idolatry is not my problem. Idolatry is your problem. Well, that's a little abrupt. It's because it's my problem. It, the, our hearts are idle factories. They are trying to produce them. And, and here again, here's the best modern day definition of an idol. It's anything that you and I are willing to disobey God in order to know or be or do or have. Boom. That desire controls us. That is, a, that is an, an idol and it takes us down the path of stupidity, of foolishness, and destruction and and death, whether it's living death or spiritual death or relational death. And God says, no, 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 no. And so in His book of Proverbs that we are dwelling for these few months, God is calling you and me to pursue Jesus Christ and His wisdom, the wisdom that He brings, and that it will produce in you and me, instead of stupidity and death, Wisdom for skillful living the way God intended it to be. That, that will bring light and life to our homes and our neighborhoods. Now, in chapter 3, the first part of chapter 3, we have already seen that God wants us to trust Him. Verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So remember, chapter 3 can be uh, outlined this way. It, three big things. Trust and honor God. Find His wisdom and love people. So we've, we've, we've looked at the trust and honor God and then pursue His wisdom. And today, we are going to discover what, it cre- what that creates in you and in me. It creates loving, meaningful, life-filled relationships at the micro and the macro level. And so we're going to look today to see what He has to say about this because Jesus was the was the first one to link very clearly loving God with loving our neighbor. He did so in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we talk about that a lot around here, don't we? One of our, our, our uh, mission statement as a church, we say Dogwood exists to love God and love people while making more and better followers of Christ. Well, today we get to a passage that answers the question, yes, but how? Really practical. Yes, but how? And it's the, it, the practical attitudes and actions that are produced in us when we honor and trust God, the Lord our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we pursue 
His wisdom. Uh, he enables us to, to love people. And so uh, we're going to find these instructions in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard translation. You follow along, beginning in verse 27. This is God's Word. When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when it is there with you. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you. Circle that word trust. He trusts you and lives near you. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the devious are detestable to the Lord, but he is a friend to the upright. Now, here's, here's the context of God's Word here. Remember, the book of Proverbs is written in the, in the uh, it's the genre uh, the, or the context of a, of a wise, godly father who is instructing his coming-of-age son on how life together with God really works, how life works, and it works best with God, His ways. And so in chapter 3, we see once again this wise father instructing his son. Three times in chapter 3, he cries out. He says, my son, my son, my son. So it's a wise father instructing his son. And he says this, he says, don't withhold good when you've got the power to do it. Don't put people off when he could help them in the moment. He told his son not to, to plan to harm any of his neighbors who trust him and certainly not to bring false testimony against any of his neighbors, against anyone. And he warned him, by all means, do not envy violent people and do not adopt even one of their ways of living. So here's how we're going to approach this today. You, you can be used by God to bring light and life to people close to you, people in your home, people, your neighborhood, your community, all people, those who are followers of Christ, those who are not. You can bring life and light to people. You can love people if you will be five things. Be generous, be timely, be reliable, be friendly, and be righteous or upright, he says. Now, we're going to look at, at all of those. He says here that God's wisdom will create life in, in and through you if you will help your needy neighbor, if you'll protect your innocent neighbor, and if you'll avoid your violent neighbor. He says here that, that our community, think about us, think about, think about uh, Tyrone, Peachtree City, Sharpsburg, Sonoy, South Fulton County, Fayette County, Coweta County. Think, think about our community here. Uh, it will be better, he says here, if we do what we should do when we should do it, and if we don't do what we shouldn't do when we shouldn't do it, and if we avoid destructive people, by all means. So here's the first one. Ready? Jot this down. You can love people magnificently if you will, first of all, be generous. Write down the word generous. Say it with me. Generous. Be generous. Be generous, he says here. Look at verse 27. When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. Now, the phrase here, when it is in your power, is literally uh, could literally be translated when it is in your hand, 
when you have it with when you have the ability to do good and and this is any kind of good that will help people when they need help it might be financial help it might be material resources it might be your time that they need or your attention or some advice it might be a problem that needs solving and you have the know-how or the skills to um, solve that problem you know to relieve human suffering in some way in some way because that's why we do what we do that's why we share the gospel that's why god left us on the planet here to to reduce radically if not eliminate human suffering in this life and in eternity and so uh, he says when it when you have the ability to reduce or relieve human suffering in any way don't hold back do not hold back. Now the picture here, you say, well, who do we help? Well, the picture here is of a person who is in your life who needs who needs help. Now there's a very interesting phrase here at the end of verse 27. I had to stare at it for a long time. He said, we're not to withhold good from the one it belongs to. And when I first read that, I thought, now wait a minute, wait a minute. If my help belongs to some someone else, owns my help, I thought, when it comes to me and my money and my time and my knowledge and my my energy, it's like mine. It's mine. But you know, Jesus has a way of turning conventional wisdom and thinking on its ear. And He says, no, that's not the case. Jesus redefined who qualifies as our neighbor uh, in Luke chapter 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And basically, he says that anyone who is in need, anyone who is in need is now defined as our neighbor. And not only that, we are obligated to them. They, they own our help. They legitimately own our help. Now, they can't demand it. That's stealing. Legally, we own it, but morally, they own it, God says. And he says here that, that, um, that another person's need is our obligation to help them in, when, in, in whatever way that we can. Well, now, that's radical. That's radical. Listen to this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, well, what is written in the law or the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures? He asked him, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus told him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Here's the phrase, here's where I recognized myself. But wanting to justify himself. That's my hobby. I'm always wanting to justify myself with God, with Allison, with you, with my own self. You know, I, I'm going to justify myself. What he was wanting to do was he was saying, okay, now I love my neighbor, but now let's, let's get it down to what I want it to be. Like he said, like, who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, yes, but just who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and said, answered him with this story. Here it goes. Some of you know it. 
For some of you, this will be the first time you've ever heard this famous story. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest, religious leader, happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, who was a religious scholar, a theologian, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then Jesus dropped the bomb on his Jewish audience. He said, but a Samaritan. Now, winced. See, the Samaritans lived in Samaria, which was the region above um, Judea. And the Jews lived in Judea, and they hated each other. You talk about racial and religious prejudice. Those of us that have grown up in our country and, and those of us that have grown up in the Deep South, um, us, us white Americans and black Americans, we've had a little bit of struggle, haven't we, figuring out how to get, a, get along? Good grief. We look like a family reunion compared to the Jews and the Samaritans in that day. It was bad, bad racial and religious prejudice. And so Jesus made it hard on the audience. He said, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked? And the man said, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, You do the same thing. Jesus redefined our neighbor. Jesus redefined who our neighbor is. And, and so... Um, we see the Samaritan here, he did good and gave it his time, his money, his energy, his skills, his help and his know-how to help even his enemy. Even his enemy. Listen to the Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. It says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. I mean, Jesus mess. He makes... He, he just get. He messes the all it just messes up all of our ability to have enemies. He takes all the fun out of it. He takes all of the righteous indignation out of it. I mean, the ethic for our enemies, he says, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, do good to your enemies, forgive your enemies. I mean, he never, anytime he deals with that, he never lets us off the hook. Some of you are in misery because you're keeping enemies. And you're in torment. And Jesus said, why are you doing that? You're going to stay in torment. Well, you don't know. Yeah, he, I'm afraid he knows. He knows all about it. He understands better than you and I. No, he knows. He knows. He said, and so in this, in this new community of God, that God is building through Christ Jesus and His gospel and the wisdom that comes with it, our dearest friend as well as our enemy suddenly become redefined as our 
neighbor. Our neighbor. When they're in need. My favorite Methodist, John Wesley, said it this way, Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That sounds good, doesn't it? Only problem is, I can't do it. Have you noticed that you can't do it? Now, you can do it some of the time, can't you? Every now and then, can't you do it? Sure, I'm, that's not a tr- I'm not setting you up now here, that re- really. You, you have, it's, it's not that you're, I'm bad all the time or you're bad all the time. We, we have the ability from time to time to be noble, to be loving, to be gracious even. Our problem is we can't do it all the time. The indication is that's, that lets us know we've got a problem, problems with our heart, and that we're still sinners in need of a Savior. That's why we still need Jesus. That's why we still need the gospel. That's why we still get up every day and say, because of what you've done to me, your tender mercies, your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, and accepting me when I was your enemy, the Bible says, in revolt against God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and we focus on His love and acceptance for us, and His the power of His gospel, His great love motivates and enables us to be and do what by ourselves we cannot be and we cannot do. So He does expect us to be generous, and that when we realize we can't live up to that, it drives us to Him so that He can live His life through us. Be generous, he says. Be generous. And then he says, not only be generous, but do it now. That's what I mean when I say to you, love your neighbor, not only by being generous, but also, number two, be timely. Timely. Jot that word down. Look at verse 28. He says, don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when it is there with you. The Good News Bible says it this way, Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. The Message Translation says it this way, Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money is right there in your pocket. Now, it was hard for me to get past this verse because all of a sudden, the Spirit of God started bringing to mind Circumstance after certain time after time when I was the priest in the parable. When I would hurry past a friend or hurry past a family member or hurry past a neighbor or hurry past a stranger who was in need, I saw it, I recognized it, telling myself that, that I really would help if I only had more time or more money or actually more courage when I was the most... Honest. Next time, saying to myself, while really knowing full well that there probably wouldn't be another opportunity to help that person. You ever done that? Anybody? Help us out, because only two of us are admitting it here, and we're feeling pretty bad. Yeah, thank you. I see, bless you, I see that hand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, hmm. There's an old saying that goes something like this. Help long on the road, 
It's no help at all. If it's not timely, frequently, it's no help at all. God says, do good and do it now. Do good and do it now. So I'm going to encourage you to do, give you an opportunity to do what I did in the midst of preparing for this sermon, and that's stop and pray at this point. So just quickly, we're not, hey, I'm not finished preaching, don't leave. But we are going to pray here. Just turn the place for a moment where you're seated into a time of prayer. Open up your memory to God the Holy Spirit. And say, Lord, would you bring to mind the times I've hurried past a friend or a stranger in need, knowing full well that I would not have another opportunity. And as he brings them to mind, ask for forgiveness for any sins of withholding or postponing help that you own. And then ask God to, to put the to to for the will to put your own desires aside in order to serve in the present by the power of His Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for hearing these prayers and for this help. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Okay, let me see your eyes. We got five minutes and thirty nine seconds, and we got two. We got fully one half of the sermon left. So uh, here you go. Uh, so we're to be generous. We can bring light and life to our to our home, to our neighborhood, to our community, to our city, to our nation, to our world. If by Christ and His wisdom we are generous and timely, and number three, if we are reliable. Write down the word reliable. Verse 29 says, Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and lives near you. The picture here is of neighbors who live side by side in neighborhoods for safety and fellowship. That's why we live in neighborhoods. I mean, that's why I like living in a neighborhood. Cho chose to do it. I like living side by side with my neighbors so we can, we can trust each other and we can enjoy each other and we can look out for each other. It's for safety and fellowship and enjoyment uh, of life. That's, that's what God intends for neighborhoods to be. So pray that you and your neighbors, will God will help you all to be neighborly to each other. And what that means is that you trust each other, you look out for each other, and you enjoy each other. And so um, this is the picture here. It's the picture of neighbors who trust each other. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you. He trusts you. She trusts you enough to live near you. To live near you. And God is saying here that we should never violate that trust. Certainly don't violate that trust uh, by planning harm against your neighbor. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going, that we're going to always understand each other and that we may misunderstand each other and even with our best intentions sometimes have conflict because conflicts happen between imperfect human beings. What he's saying here is just don't have it on purpose. Don't plan harm. He said, be reliable in the sense that your, your neighbors are able to trust you. And you trust 
them. It brings light in life. For trust is the basis of every relationship. Again, in February, we're going to talk about our marriages. And when trust is broken, however it is broken, in a marriage, a kind of death comes. And and we need God's help to resurrect it. When uh, we have already seen in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that your entire relationship with God through Jesus Christ is dependent upon trust. You trusting Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust brings life and light. It does not bring stupidity and death. Now, here's just one example. This is why... This is why a word spoken in confidence turned into a piece of juicy gossip is so destructive. It breaks trust in your, in your, with your spouse, with your kids, with your work associates, with your classmates, with your neighbors, with your fellow citizens. Don't gossip. It breaks trust. They said, well, now wait a minute, I'm not gossiping, I'm only telling what's true. That is gossip. Slander is when you say things that aren't true about someone to harm them. Gossip is when you know good and well what happened and you repeat it. But again, God messes all... I mean, isn't gossip good though? Don't you just want to tell it? I do. Yeah, it's, why is that? Because we're sinners in need of a Savior. We see, the Bible, again, Jesus messes up all our fun with gossip. And that He says, rather than repeat people's sins, that love, you might know what the word is? Covers a multitude of sins. We know the sins of our brothers and sisters, and we don't repeat it. And we encourage everybody else to shut up who is repeating it. In your, you know, we're we're starting our winter spring semester of life groups in February. We've got group link, as you heard, uh, to help you get into groups. In our groups, that's where we make good friends and grow spiritually. That's what we do in, in life groups. Make good friends and grow spiritually. The, the, the death of fellowship in a life group or in a church is gossip. So write this down. Here's some instruction. Write this down. You ready? Don't do it. Got it? Got it? Love covers a multitude of sins. Be trust. Worthy, be trustworthy. You can bring light and life to people. You can love them by being generous and timely, reliable, and number four, friendly. Look at verse 30. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. Now, there are always people who are ready for a quarrel, always people who are ready to to fuss over the backyard fence or over the lunchroom table or across the street. There are always those who are looking for a fight and expecting a fight. There are always those who are looking to accuse someone else falsely so they can take advantage of another person and get either some of their money or possessions or position or or prestige. Um, Always someone eager to take someone to court for no good reason. This is a violation of the ninth commandment. 
thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This sort of unfriendly person is a menace who destroys community, is a menace who destroys trust and life in a family, in a church, on a street, in a community. And um, God is saying here, don't be that person. Don't do that. Be friendly. Be friendly. Don't accuse anyone without cause who's done you no harm. Instead, be friendly and God will use you to create a culture of life in a community, again, that has been hijacked by foolishness, stupidity, and death. Let's ask Him for His help. Pray with me. Pray with me. For some of you, you've realized you have absolutely no power to live this way. Something stirring in your heart. And here's what that is. Maybe you've realized for the first time that you have never come to faith in Christ. Listen, in Jesus Christ, God the Father did something for you and me that we could not do for ourselves. He stepped out of heaven and came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then went innocently to the cross. And somehow, when He was hanging on that cross to die innocently, God the Father arranged for all of your sins and guilt and shame and all of my sins and guilt and shame to be transferred from us onto Him. And He paid the price in full. He, he atoned fully for your sin and my sin because of your sin in my sin. And then He rose from the dead, proving He had the power to do so and that He could offer new uh, and abundant life, forgiveness and a relationship with God. And He said, if you will admit it, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and you can't save yourself, and if you will turn from your self-centered, sinful life and put your active trust in Jesus and what He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead, that God would apply it to you personally. And He would forgive you of your sin. And He would fully accept you as His child, adopt you into His family. That He would give you His Holy Spirit to empower you to be transformed in this life and live life the way He wants you to live it. And, and spend eternity with Him when you die. Some of you are ready for that. And if you've never done so, but now for the first time, you'd say, Pastor, I got it. I understand it. I'm ready. I want to trust Christ for the very first time. I want to pray for you. And I'd just like to know that you're here. If that's you, would you raise your hand really quickly until I see it? Anybody in the balcony? I'm checking out the balcony right now in the lights. Anybody there? How about on the floor? Am I missing somebody? Okay, everybody here is either good or you're not ready yet. Okay. Okay. Well, Lord, thank You for Your amazing grace. And now as Your followers, we ask You to do a work of Your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Apply the Gospel to us. Turn us into the kind of people who are generous and timely with their help. Who are trustworthy and reliable in all of our relationships. And who are friendly. Through us, Lord, bring light and life to our church, to our homes, to our streets, to our city, to our county. And um, we're excited about this, Lord. Thank You for these things. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Now, if you've made a significant spiritual commitment, I, you can let me know about it by using the communication card you filled out earlier in the service. Looks like this. You got that? Check the appropriate statement on your card, and um, here's what will happen. We will pray for you. We will make uh, contact with you by email or telephone for confidential conversations about spiritual things. We've got materials to drop in the mail to you that are designed to help you take your next steps spiritually with Jesus Christ, and and we're here to help uh, with those things. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.